So it is officially draft season. We are roughly two to three weeks away from the MLB draft. One of the few things we have to look forward to right now, unless a deal is struck, but I don't want to talk about that drama right now. We're going to talk about some fun things like the amateur draft. And I'm going to be joined by Ian Smith of Prospects 365. You do a lot of coverage for the Florida State League. A lot of You do a lot of analysis for prospects, and you've been doing some draft coverage as well. And of course, a colleague of mine for a while at Fish Stripes covering all things Marlins. Ian, it's going to be all MLB today, all draft. And thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me today, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm stoked to talk drafts. It's been one of the more exciting things to talk about the last few months. And it's been so fun to really just find the, the, the hidden prospects and the, and the amazing talents we have in this 2020 class. Well, for very obvious reasons, we know that this draft is going to be tough to predict. With the spring being cut short, whether it's a high schooler or a college player, we didn't get to see as much of them, and neither did the major league teams. And that's going to change things. So we're going to make our best guess, just like everybody else is. But I think we have a pretty good mock here, and we're going to fly through it. You've got the even picks. I've got the odds. And with the first pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Detroit Tigers are selecting Austin Martin, shortstop out of Vanderbilt. That is my pick for number one. I see Torkelson being taken more. I can understand why, you know, the hit tool is off the charts and the power to go with it is just unbelievable for a guy like Spencer Torkelson. But Austin Martin has one of the best hit tools in the country, if not the best hit tool in the draft, and he plays a premium position. And that's what it comes down to for me. Ultimately, I'm going to take the shortstop that has a comparable hit tool to Torkelson. Obviously, the power does not compare. Torkelson has the potential to be a perennial all-star and hit 30, 40 home runs in the major leagues. Martin, his power comes at a little bit of a question, but he seemed to tap into it a little bit more at the end of last year. The more I watch of Martin, the more I like him. Watched a lot of the College World Series tape from him. He had no problem putting it out there in Omaha, which we know is a poke. And he is comfortable at shortstop. He might not stay there. But the big thing, too, is just when I look at history, the last 20 years, only one first baseman has has been selected first overall. It was by the Florida Marlins when they took Adrian Gonzalez in 2000. But since 2004, six shortstops have been taken number one overall. I'm going to take the premium position for a Tigers team that is rebuilding and does not have a legitimate shortstop prospect right now. The only uh, projectable prospect, if you will, was Willie Castro, and he struggled in his debut. They're loaded with arms. They need some bats, and Austin Martin is as can't miss as you're going to find. Even if he doesn't stick at shortstop, he could play center field or pretty much any of the infield positions. What are your thoughts on Austin Martin at number one, Ian? Yeah, I just want to hit on a lot of the same same points you just hit on. Um, he's about the most complete profile we have in this 2020 class. I think he could be a premium defender at either second base, shortstop, center field, or even third base. Uh, he has a premium hit tool. It's probably a 60 to 65 grade hit tool. Uh, his power is shown to be capable, if you must, um, at this level. He hasn't really shown any wood bat. He had a good season in the Cape this year, but it wasn't off the charts. I just think the kid just really plays and he's just he's made such improvements in three years that we've that we've just been excited to be watching. And um to go number one with Austin Martin is really a, a safe pick here. Um he fills all the holes you're looking for and he can be a premium player at the next level. 
And with Martin going one, I think it's going to be a giveaway at who goes number two. But tell me a little bit about Spencer Torkelson at two. Absolutely. Well, of course, we have to go number two with Spencer Torkelson, the first baseman at Arizona State. Um, when you look at a 60-grade hit tool and a 65-grade power tool, uh, you really can't pass that up. Granted, he's a first baseman, but he's a young first baseman. He's not yet 21 years old, so he's got so much time for, for production and development. I think he's got the athleticism to play in the corner outfield position if that's what you want to. That's the route you want to go with him at the next level. Either way, his bat's going to play wherever you find him in the field. Um, I think he's as, as good a pick as you're going to find this entire draft. And I'm really excited to see what he can do as he as he develops over the next few years. We may be looking at the second coming of somebody like a Paul Goldschmidt here in Spencer Torkelson. Well, that's a really good comp too because, like you said, he's athletic at first base. Goldschmidt is a guy that at his peak was swiping 15, sometimes even 20 bags as a first baseman, very athletic, good hit tool, and he mixed the power in as well. Torkelson, I got a chance to see him. He stopped by in the Cape on his way to Team USA, and you made a point off the air before. It's just he never sees pitches to hit, and when he finally does, he doesn't miss them. And it was the same thing in the Cape. He played a couple games with the Chathamays this past summer, and you could just see the fear he instills in, in pitchers. And he just is so imposing up there, and he will instantly make an impact in whatever organization and whatever lineup he slides into. It's a one, two, three top of the draft for me and the Marlins pick at three if that's how one and two go which seems like almost guaranteed Asa Lacey is the pick for the Marlins at number three Lacey to me I know you agree is the best pitcher in this draft a big southpaw that can really just run it up there he doesn't have a max effort fastball anyway though it's effortless in the mid 90s touching upper 90s great spin rate as you have pointed out in the past too and just a great mix of pitches. He has really improved on his ability to locate. And the big thing for me is the Marlins system obviously has improved so much, and that's been something we've talked about a lot as guys who cover the Marlins. But just as someone who covers baseball, you look at the Marlins system objectively, and their two best arms are both right-handers, and they're both knocking at the door to be in the big leagues. at Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera. They'll be up within the next year. Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, the two best southpaws in the Marlins system, and probably the only two really legitimate, projectable southpaws that are anywhere near the middle to upper levels of the minor leagues, they've still only barely sniffed double A. So we don't know how good those guys are going to be. I'm very high on both Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, but the odds of both of them turning into top of the rotation pieces, pretty slim. I think both of them could be middle of the rotation to back of the rotation, solid southpaws in the big leagues. But with Edward Cabrera and Sixto Sanchez, power right-handers, looking like they have a good shot to stick into the major league rotation, Asa Lacey makes it almost guaranteed that the Marlins will have a solid lefty besides Caleb Smith to plug into their rotation in the next couple years. And to me, that's the pick right there. They have plenty of outfield bats. They could use some middle infielders. But there's nobody there at three if Martin's not there. Asa Lacey's the best player available and fits right into the Marlins system. Brings you four-plus pitches right now. Uh, his changeup is a developing pitch, and the Marlins have shown the ability to really take a changeup and take it to the next level the last few years. So I'm excited to see what they could do with this player development in Miami with a player like Asa Lacey. So the one, two, three, that's 
pretty set in stone, maybe not the order, but the three guys, in my opinion, where they're going to go. I don't think any of those three fall out. And the Marlins have a pretty nice spot there where not a lot of pressure. (laughs) Whichever one of those three guys falls to them, that's who they're going to take. But right around four is where it starts to get interesting. You can make a case for anybody at four. And the rest of the draft turns into a little bit of a cluster. Who do you have going at number four? At four is a guy, I think, who has probably one of the best hit tools in this entire draft, and that's New Mexico State second baseman Nick Gonzalez. It's a guy that me and you are both high on, a guy that you covered when you were covering the Cape Cod League this summer, and just a guy who hits every day. He's one of the type of players you really would see as a gamer. He just comes out there and plays his game. He's not overly big. He doesn't really bring any huge, loud tools besides the hit tool to his game, but just shows you every day what kind of player he can be. And that's just talent. I mean, he's put up some of the biggest NCAA baseball numbers that we've seen in years. And it looked like he was playing MLB the show on rookie. Um, the kid just hits. He granted he played in a small conference and a small stadium, but I'm excited to see what he can do with the next level. And he the question marks with the wood bat were there, but he went to the Cape Cod this year, won the MVP, and just looked like an entirely different player after playing the year as an All-American last year in 2019. Yeah, all, all good points, and that's a guy I saw. I was fortunate to watch him play day in and day out as the play-by-play broadcaster for the Katuit Kettleers this past summer. And when I tweeted a lot of stuff about the draft in the last few months, uh, I've been so high on Nick Gonzalez because you hit the nail on the head. He is a gamer, and he has a big league aura to him already where he just carries himself the right way. He just worked, grinded, and became probably the best hitter in all of college baseball. Doesn't flash that elite speed. He's probably stuck at second base, but he hits the ball so damn well that it doesn't matter. Ultimately, that's what baseball is all about, right? Hitting the ball, and that's what he does. And a lot of people questioned my how high I was on Nick Gonzalez because they said, oh, well, he's only playing in a small conference in New Mexico State. Not everybody sees the Cape stats, which I understand, but you take a look at the Cape stats. He was the Cape League MVP for a reason. I wanted to see how he would play against that higher level pitching, and he did not miss a beat. Hit over 350. He was in the top five in basically every category in the Cape Cod League, and he had no problem breaking 400 plus feet with home runs with the wood bat. And this is a guy, like you said, one of the best hit tools in the draft to go with power for a 5'10, 5'11 second baseman. He's got 50-plus power in him and no problem tapping into it. And this is a guy that is just a gamer, like you said, solid at second base. He's probably going to be stuck there, but that's fine. His hit tool and his power ability is so good at second base. You are looking at a guy that's as safe as a bet as you're going to find in this draft at number four, and I think that's the right pick there too. And that's going to lead me into a guy that's maybe not as safe as a, of a bet, but equally high ceiling, maybe even higher ceiling, at number five for the Blue Jays, it's Zach Veen for me, an outfielder out of Spruce Creek High School in Florida. Veen, a guy that we both really like. And five is probably as high as you're going to see him go. I mean, maybe he could go four. I doubt it with how good Nick Gonzalez is and how high both of us are on, on him. But Veen has shot up draft boards. He has shot onto the radar of so many scouts and so many teams. And with reason, this is a guy that threw some height. He's got a big frame that is yet to be filled out, and he's already tapping into some power. He's my best prep bat for sure, Um, and and he fits right into the Jays' system. This is a system that is filled with pitching. They have a lot of infield bats that are now graduated into the big leagues, 
But when you look at their outfield and their system, they only have one legitimate projectable prospect that has not yet graduated. And that's Griffin Conine, who comes with a lot of volatility, a lot of power, but a lot of strikeouts. And he could go either way. So they need some reinforcements with that outfield. And Zach Veen is the highest ceiling outfielder that you can get at five and potentially a guy that could really turn into a a clinic type, I think, that could just end up not missing a beat in high school to pro ball will be a quicker adjustment for him than most other guys. Yeah, I think you really can't go wrong with with Veen here at five. Um, the the big lefty power, the 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 massive um, the town he's played against the last few years, the, the ability that he got this year to come out here and play against talent the few first few weeks of the year, being that he was a high schooler in Florida, the season started a little bit early, so scouts got to see him a lot more, and he really distanced himself as the top prep bat in this class um, the, the, over the first few weeks of the year. And that's, that's saying something that's not a lot of, that's a, just a short, a short sample size, but the talent he showed and the production he's put up over the last few years is really something that Toronto is going to fall in love with at five. So it's six. This is somewhere we went back and forth for a while. Who do you have going to Seattle at number six? Let's see, at six, Seattle is another pitcher off the board. It's a guy who could probably could go as high as four in this draft, maybe even three, and that's Georgia's right-hander, Emerson Hancock. Um, he fell a little bit here to six. Um, you thought he might fall even lower in this draft, which is a possibility. There's been some rumors of that coming. But he brings you a three-pitch mix with the fastball slider changeup. That's probably as good as anybody in this draft. He's had the reduction over the last few years an extremely good conference as the SEC, and he's just projectable pitcher. He's 6'4 frame, he's athletic, and he has an effortless delivery. <clears throat> delivery. He reminds me a little bit of a Forrest Whitley, Astros prospect over the last few years, but I think Hancock's as good as you're going to get at pick six, and Seattle's going to be lovely to, to still follow up with after adding Lover Gilbert a couple of years ago to follow up with Emerson Hancock. Yeah, you know, I, I did have Hancock falling, but as you said, he is the – probably the highest ceiling player you can get at six, a guy that has ace potential. My concern with him was the abbreviated season does not work in his favor because he got off to a slow start. He showed that maybe he didn't improve on some of those concerns that some of the teams had from his previous season, but I don't want to be too harsh on him for just a couple outings. You know, everybody starts a little slow. A lot of guys do. And my concern was he got knocked around by some mid-majors, Richmond knocked him around a little bit. And from what I saw in those games, it was just the secondaries were not playing very well for him. And the fastball, while it it plays up, he throws upper 90s, no problem. And like you said, it's effortless. That's not going to just work at the big leagues. If that's all he's got, he's going to have some trouble. I know he has some potential with those secondary pitches where a lot of scouts see plus potential pitches. But right now, it just seems like he can't count on them enough. And whether teams think they can develop that or not is going to be up to them. But six is a very fair spot for Hancock, and I could very well see him going there. Seven is probably one of the more easy picks. I I hate to say the word easy because I'll probably be wrong anyway. But Pittsburgh going with Heston Kierstad, the outfielder from Arkansas, just seems like it makes too much sense. Almost so much sense it won't happen. But they've been said to want a college bat. He's the best college bat available there. He fits right in. This is a team that gave up Austin Meadows. They're reeling from that. And they can replace him with a high ceiling, really 
one of the safer picks, I think, out of all the college bats you're going to find for the rest of the draft. And there's a lot of college bats I like, but this guy is just an all-around ball player. He is the guy you probably want if you're a rebuilding team that needs to just take the best player available. He's the best player available. And when you can have a best player available combination with a polished college player, usually you're juggling the two. This is the best pick for me here at seven. I absolutely. I think your set is the prototype corner outfield master. Um, he's more of a power tool over hit tool type of guy. He's going to, he's going to crank 30 homers a year at his potential, at his highest potential. He's come again, another kid coming from the sec with, with a, with a tough, uh, excuse me, a high grade pedigree. And he's played at a high level with Team USA and with Arkansas. The kid plays really well. He's shown athleticism. He's a left-handed bat. You really can't pass up a college a college productive left-handed bat right now at pick seven. And I think he's going to fit well in the pirate system. And this is the beginning of our domino effect of arms at eight. Who do you have the Padres taking at number eight? Because this starts a massive tumble of arms off the board after the Padres make this selection here. At eight, I have San Diego taking right-hander Max Meyer out of Minnesota. Uh, this is probably one of the best two-pitch two pitch mixes out of anybody in the draft, not named Asa Lacy. His fastball slider is absolutely fantastic. His his slider his slider videos online right now are some of the funnest videos I've watched all year out of scouting, and it's just been fun to watch. He's only six foot tall. He's kind of undersized starter. He's a former closer for Team USA who's really shown the ability to start this year and over the past, I think, 18 months. He's, he's hit 100 with the fastball, and the, and the slider sits in the high in the high 80s, low 90s. He's a really, really intriguing pitcher. He shows some qualities of, a, of somebody like a Walker Bueller. And I think if San Diego is able to land him at eight, they're ecstatic. We were talking about it before we, we started recording that this draft could go crazy and anything could happen. I could see a world where Max Meyer goes ahead of somebody like Emerson Hancock. And I, I, I know I'm being a little harsh on him because it seems like Hancock makes the most sense. But, you know, if a team doesn't believe that he can harness that slider or doesn't believe that the changeup will be a pitch that plays up, then maybe you go with a guy like Meyer, whether you think he can end up being a starter and building that stamina at the next level. That's going to be a question. He's also only six foot 185. But size, we're learning, doesn't really – the height and weight doesn't matter as much with pitchers now because some of these kids are just freaks and they can throw uh, – it seems like everyone throws gas today. So Meyer seems like he just continues to tap into that velocity, like you said, hitting triple digits without a problem. I, I like this pick here. To me, he's he's the best pitcher available there. And if I'm the Rockies now picking at nine, I'm devastated because that's the guy I wanted. The Rockies really need right-handers. They have a few good left-handed pitchers in the system, plenty of good bats, but they are desperate for some solid right-handed pitchers. They're upset. Max Meyer's off the board, but you got a guy, Cole Wilcox. That's my pick at number nine for the Rockies. Wilcox is a top and right-handed pitcher, another guy that can just throw heat, a little bit overshadowed at Georgia, which is easy to happen when you got a guy like Emerson Hancock. But to me, I think Wilcox is one of the more underrated arms in the draft for that reason. And he, he, to me, has just about all of the tools to be a legitimate 
top of the rotation arm. He's bigger. We're talking about size. This guy's 6'5", 230 with a fastball that's around a 65 grade. The secondary, again, is going to be the question with any pitcher you draft, especially a right-hander. But if he can harness that slider and work on the control, the control's a little bit of a concern as well. This is a guy that it could be a legitimate big-time power pitcher at 6'5", for the Rockies that have needed a projectable young right-hander for a while now after a few haven't panned out. To me, this makes the most sense, and I am high on Wilcox, and he, he could be easily one of the best pitchers in this draft if Hancock doesn't pan out or Meyer doesn't turn into a starter uh, like most teams are hoping. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think Wilcox going to nine is probably going to be the best case scenario for him to sign this year in this draft. I think he's going to be a little bit more difficult to sign than, than first people think he's a, he's a sophomore eligible out of Georgia. He's only 20 years old. So he has all the, all the leverage to go back to school. So going in the top 10 to here to, to Colorado would make total sense to me. He does bring that top notch fastball. He does bring the polished secondaries. The control is an issue. He's walked a little bit, a little bit too many guys in his college ranks, but He's got so much room for growth, and he's really shown the ability to, to look like an elite pitcher at times. So I think this pick really makes a lot of sense at nine. And again, a, a guy who has a little bit of that starter reliever question, uh, but I'm taking a chance on the 6'5 righty that can hit triple digits. And at number nine, like you said, you're going to have to cough up a couple extra bucks for him. But with the Rockies needing a right-handed pitcher, that's the guy you overslot, and I think that's the guy you try to reel in. So now, after the Rockies, we got the Angels at number 10, and you're going to break up this pitcher continuation here just for one pick. Who do you have going at 10 to the Angels? Just for one pick here, yeah. I have a guy who's probably could go as high as six in this draft, and he's one of my favorite prospects in the entire class, and that is Patrick Braley, the catcher out of North Carolina State. Uh, he's a switch hitter with some real sneaky power. He's hit more. He hit more homers in college than Adley Rutschman did, which is very surprising to say. Uh, he shows potential to have three three plus tools behind the plate. He's going to stick behind the plate long term. You don't really see switch hitting catchers with this kind of ability every year. And with the Angels landing him at ten, he at, he kind of fits their system as somebody who's going to move very quickly. And reach reach the big leagues in a time when they're going to be really needing to compete with the, with the upper names like Joe Adele and Jamon James. Reach reaching the major leagues, the Brandon Marshes to to go with Rendon and Trout as they make their their rush for the, the World Series the next few years, as I, I imagine they're going to try to do. So adding somebody like Patrick Bailey, who has all the potential in the world, and to control an offense from behind the plate like this is is pretty it's pretty fantastic. Hopefully, a guy for them that can climb through the system quickly uh, while they still have that that window. Uh, and you know, this is a team that definitely needs some arms, and you could make a case for an arm there. But I, I like a catcher. I like a catcher there. They clearly value offense, and this is a guy that could really help a team that has been looking for a catcher for a while now. That could be a consistent guy behind the plate. Next up is the White Sox, and this was a tough one for me to pinpoint. Some people thought a catcher could be an option there for the White Sox at 11, but if Bailey just went off the board, I'm probably not reaching for another catcher going back-to-back. The White Sox could use some pitching. They could use a southpaw in that system as well, and to me, Reed Detmers, 
we have him fallen a little bit here. A, a lot of people like him in the top 10. I think he falls a little bit. This is a great pick at 11 for the White Sox because he is very polished, maybe one of the more polished pitchers in the draft. We're talking about guys who have command issues and guys who have great stuff but can't harness it. Reed Detmers might be the opposite of that. He is a guy that has good stuff, but he has really solid command. And the stuff does not quite play up to a Brandon McKay type, which he is very similar to uh, another Louisville grad. But Detmers is the type of player that you know is going to be able to pound the strike zone. He's going to mix it up. He's going to keep hitters off balance, but you know maybe he's not going to be a top of the rotation arm. Maybe he won't be a guy like that, but he is a solid pitcher that could make his way through the system pretty quickly too, because you're looking at a guy that's very polished. It's just whether he can keep hitters off balance at the next level, because the fastball really sits in the low nineties. He can touch 94. The curveball is, is slow. It, it, it's a mid seventies curveball, but it's sharp with some nice bend and good shape to it. The changeup also is that pitch that he's going to really need to have success at the next level to get right-handed hitters out to be able to mix it up. And ultimately, I like Detmers. I like him as a middle-of-the-rotation type of guy if everything works out. And for the White Sox, they haven't had a lot of success drafting pitchers in the last few years. Radon turned out okay, but you look at Carson Fulmer, Zach Birdie, those two guys didn't really work out. Radon didn't end up being what they were hoping. And since Chris Sale, they haven't really had success drafting a pitcher. Do you go away from that or do you give it one more shot? I think they give it one more shot. And Detmers seems like the pick right here at 11. Yeah, I mean, that's great pick right there, Detmers. This would be, I guess, a slide going to pick 11 here. But I think this would be a great pick for Chicago. He throws he throws strikes probably better than anybody else in this class. Um He's very composed on the mound, but at the same time brings a bulldog mentality that really sets him apart. Sets him apart from not having that elite level velocity. Uh, his 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 curveball is probably looks to be seventy grade on some days. It's it's been really fun to watch, um, but it, he has to have that at the next level. He really really will need to work up on his on his fastball to get to be able to get big league hitters out. So if he's able to to add some velocity to his frame, I think this is a great pick, and he could be a front level two, three type of starter in the next few years. What's next here? Because we get a little bit off the arms in a couple more picks, but we're still going to go one more arm here, and then it's going to turn into a mixture of everything. But we had the arms falling off like dominoes, and this is the last one of that domino effect with the Cincinnati Reds at 12. Okay, at 12 here, I'm going to go back, back-to-back back pitchers in the last two years with Cincinnati after adding TCU – Lefty Nick Dolo last year. They're going to go back to another Texas right another Texas pitcher this year with prep righty Jared Kelly. This is probably the most polished high school pitcher we have in this class. He looks he looks like looks the part standing on the mound. He throws in the triple digits and he adds that with a plus curve plus changeup. Excuse me. Uh, he's really he's, he really scares me because I'm kind of have some former stigma with Texas right-handers because of my Tyler Kolek days. <laughs> but Jared Kelly is the real deal. He's going to be adding to a system that has Kyle Body and the drive lines his systems in place there in Cincinnati. And that's the type of player development that a guy like Kelly needs. He's something that, that can be developed into a frontline starter, and he has all the ability to do it. Being a flamethrower, he doesn't have the track record of some of these guys like Mick Adele and Nick Bitsko have. But I think he's really – 
a top flight arm. And I think he's going to be a, an overslot option there at 12 for Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good point. We got a little bit of PTSD from uh, power right-handers from Texas and it's unfortunate with the whole Colex story, but that was a guy that had a power fastball too, you know, triple digits. But like you said, Kelly has a much better ability to mix it up and a much better ability to locate it. Not that he is great by any means at either of those things, but compared to Tyler Kolick at this point, you're looking at a guy who needs much less development and will benefit, like you said, from a really good program in Cincinnati where the Marlins did not have the resources to build Tyler Kolick and polish Tyler Kolick at the time. Now at 13, we're going to go back to bats and we're going to go to high school. You know, I thought about Garrett Mitchell here, and there's some question marks with him. He is not Garrett Mitchell was not able to tap into his power in college as much as we'd like to see, and there's some questions with uh, his type one diabetes whether that's going to be an issue. You know, Garrett Mitchell has the potential to be a five tool player. I think he is going to be one of the options here, 13 or 14. But for me, San Francisco they need a high ceiling type of guy, and there's no more projectable player at this point, maybe out of any of the high schoolers than Austin Hendrick. Austin Hendrick is a freak. There's no other way to put it in the most endearing way possible. An absolute freak. His hands may have some of the fastest hands I've ever seen from a high schooler, just ridiculous bat speed. This was a guy that had to make a lot of adjustments too. Uh, He hit maybe as unusual as I've ever seen as well uh, in his sophomore year in high school. I can't even begin to describe his setup. You're going to have to just Google Austin Hendrick and see his swing because it was really weird, but he simplified it a lot. He said it wasn't that hard. It didn't really affect him much. It made things easier. And he is so quick to the ball, almost to his detriment of how fast his hands are. He's a little bit out of control. And I think that's because of the amount of power he generates. But this is a guy that it's easier to tell him to scale it back a little bit and get things under control more controlled aggression, but he just attacks the baseball. He's a good athlete. At the end of the day, it's just his power that's going to play up. You just hope that the hit tool is not an issue, being that he's a Pennsylvania high schooler. He said himself, I'm facing guys that throw in the 70s. That's a little bit of a concern with the competition, but he did look good in the showcase circuit. He made some appearances for Team USA and seemed to not be overmatched by that higher level of competition. To me, you're taking a risk at 13 with Austin Hendrick, but if you're the Giants in a system that could use a perennial potential all-star type of guy, that's probably the only guy available, I think, at 13, correct me if I'm wrong, that has a legitimate chance. I guess anyone has a legitimate chance, but that we think could have the best shot at being a perennial all-star in Austin Hendrick at 13. Yeah, I like I like Austin Hendrick at 13 here um, to, to San Francisco. He fits the the athletic outfielders that they've been adding the last few years to in the in the international ranks and through the draft. Austin Kendrick really brings a hit power tool that you don't see very often from the high school ranks. Again, like you said, he's been playing the lower level competition in Pennsylvania, but he really has been he hasn't done anything to hurt his game. He's he's shown the ability to to hit at the against the, the elite competition when he's played in the showcases. The only things that go against Hendrick is his age. He's going to be 19 years old at the, at the draft, so his his development years will be hit a little bit. 
scouts and teams are looking at a few months in this draft, it's going to be a huge deal. He's going to have some signability concerns being 19 years old. He knows he's had some leverage to go to Mississippi, Mississippi state. But if um, <clears throat> San Francisco is able to land Hendrick here with the 13th pick, I think it's a home run. And like I was saying, you know, it, it's a toss up. I think both teams back to back here go outfielder, which we agreed on. And now it's the other guy, either or could go here 13 or 14, but you got Garrett Mitchell now going to Texas at 14. Some have him, I'd say most have him going higher. So he's sliding a little bit for us, but how happy would Texas be to get Garrett Mitchell here at 14? Yeah, I think Garrett Mitchell is one of the better players in this entire class. Another left-handed bat. He's polished out of UCLA. He's an 80 grade runner who can just change the game. Uh, he really brings a different level of ability in the outfield. He can play anywhere, but I think he's going to stick in center field. He really doesn't have a, a really over the over the fence type of power, but he he drives the ball into the gaps really well, and and just shows true poise and, and pro level abilities in the box when he's at when he's at the plate. Um, the type one diabetes, like you hit on before, is something that teams are going to be wary of. But if he's able to fall all the way to fourteen, I don't think Texas hesitates at this pick. Uh, he has the ability to be really be an impact player at the next level and a extremely high floor, and that's something you're really going to look for in the middle of this first round. And especially in a first round that's going to be very, very tricky to predict going forward, you get a guy who's extremely safe and Garrett Mitchell who can bring you extremely good results in the next few years. And then that's the good point that you bring up because Hendrick and Mitchell are two different, almost opposite type of prospects here where Hendrick has a very high ceiling, but you know does not have that high floor that Mitchell has. Mitchell is a really safe pick a guy that you know is going to be able to hit the ball. And that's why I think the Giants are more likely to take a chance and Texas might play it a little bit safer. I really like that one-two there going in that order. 